Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Joe Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network, the number one podcast platform for professionals. Given the response to last week's first foray into the feedback of popular questions, I thought we'd do another one. We've already talked about the hows and whys of racing, when horses run, when they retire, stats on, yes, I'm biased, why racing is the coolest sport out there. So this week, let's step off the track and into the grandstand or into whatever device you're holding that just so happens to be logged into your favorite ADW and talk about wagering. Let me start by saying, and you're going to hear it more than once during this show, that all betting should be done responsibly and within your means. Because wagering on horses is one of the easiest things you can do, and it requires little to no skill or information in order to do it at the most basic level. Now, before all my fellow handicappers get mad at that statement, think about it. I can have and do spend hours poring over the form for a race, researching past performances and pedigrees and statistics and all the data that's literally fit to print. While you as a civilian can walk up to the paddock or pull up the video feed and say, "Ooh, I like the gray or wow, that horse shares a name with my cousin's uncle's brother, so I'm going to put $2 down. Both are perfectly valid reasons to bet. A winning ticket cashes the same regardless of the reason you played it. That said, if you want to be a better better, today we're going to talk about all the ways you can do just that. Racing is full of insidery terms that confuse and confound. We put funny names on things. So let's demystify some of those and hopefully you'll feel more confident next time you watch horses go round in circles. No matter how you found us, and I'm certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know about and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. First things first. What in the world is paramutual betting? Introduced in 1870 in Paris, the process is fairly simple. A player buys a ticket on the horse he wishes to back, all money for that race is pooled together, and then paid out by wager type to the winning ticket holders, less what's called takeout, which is basically the track's commission and tax for taking the bets. Now, side note for those who want me to go down the takeout rabbit hole right now, especially in light of recent events with some tracks that have just announced new rates, that's going to have to be an entire show unto itself with people way smarter than me. I will say as a handicapper, obviously I want to see lower rates so I get the most money back, but having worked four tracks and ADWs, I can argue the merit in high-ish rates because running a racetrack ain't cheap. Back to what paramutual betting actually is, though. You'll often hear me say how racing was at the forefront of so many technological innovations. One of the biggest and most important, I think, was the totalizator system. Introduced in the 1920s, this was basically one of the first computer devices that issued and recorded betting tickets. In the 1920s. 
That's pretty darn impressive considering modern conveniences like gas-powered cars were only about a decade old and heck, the Studebaker company was still making horse-drawn vehicles in that day and age. Nowadays, tote systems are all computerized mega-machines that can handle fancy algorithms at warp speed, calculating betting pools and current odds on each horse that update every minute and feed into on-track simulcast feeds and ADW pages. As the technology has grown, so has the available wagering menu. What used to just be win, play, show, exacta, quinella, and a few others is now a full slate of things like daily doubles and pick threes, fours, fives, sixes, and even for some of the bigger events, bets on races across multiple days. And we also can do really cool future wager things for races like the Kentucky Derby, where you can back a horse at a locked-in price starting before the Breeders' Cup Juvenile has even run all the way up to the first Saturday in May. Another popular question is, how are the odds on the horse I like calculated? This is a lot easier than most folks realize. It's how much money is on a particular horse in proportion to the total amount of all money wagered on that particular race. So essentially, basic probability. This leads to another common question. Is it better to bet the long shot or the favorite? Mike Joyce, my friend and former colleague at TVG, has a saying that I've long loved. Only handicappers and weathermen can be wrong 60% of the time and still have a job. Obviously, you make more money if you bet long shots and they come in. And in a sport where there are no real absolutes because we're dealing with athletes, both horse and human, who aren't machines, one of my favorite statistics to lean on is that favorites only win about one-third of the time. So that says playing price ponies isn't the worst idea. For me, I may not bet if the price is short, but that's just because I also don't really wager a whole lot, either in frequency or monetary value. If I like a long shot and I feel like it would be a wise use of money to put a little on his nose, then why not? Again, the whole idea of betting is to take the risk responsibly. So you may ask yourself, if I'm not a tote board player, what am I? I like to look at past performances as much if not more than the next gal, personally. It's easy to see when a horse has rolled off a series of wins and is clearly in good form, but that's not the fun part for me. I like the puzzle of looking for patterns that suggest a horse is going to break out of a slump or is finally back at a distance or surface or level of company that suggests they're going to jump up and nab a win. Given that I grew up on the back of a horse from the time I was 18 months old, I absolutely love to stand at the rail or watch a track's video feed and look for who's got that let's do this thing attitude going. Sometimes this means the horse who's on his toes or who just looks the part. Every handicapper will tell you they look for something different. I think my favorite of these takes is in the post parade, the horse who puts their back hoof into the exact spot in the dirt left by their front hoof when they walk forward. I don't know, that requires paying way too close attention for me, but hey, if it works for you, I say go for it. I'll tell you a secret. Yes, a lot of successful visual handicapping is knowing the animal, but it's honestly more about gut instinct. But what if you don't watch a lot of races and don't feel like you know what to look for? If you ever played or even just watched sports on TV, you know what game face looks like. Oftentimes, horses will telegraph that they're going to do something good just in their physical demeanor. Then it's up to the racing gods. Winning requires luck and skill and being in the right race in the right field in the right moment. 
It does help if you take some time to follow certain horses and understand how they behave pre-race. Think of it like NFL players. If you ever watch Sunday Night Football before they run onto the field, you know that there's the guy who does the awesome hype work, but there's also the more low-key guy who just jogs out all calm and collected. Horses are the same. Someone's got to be Ray Lewis and someone's got to be Tom Brady. Years ago, a horse named Honor Code would get super washed out, where you would literally see a white line of sweat on his neck loading into the gate. Normally, that's not something we betters like to see because it usually says they're overexcited or have expended too much energy to really run their best race. Same with Shackelford, who won the 2011 Preakness. When he was being saddled, he would get super animated to the point of jumping around. Again, normally not the best sign. But both Honor Code and Shaq needed to get hyped up in order to run their best race. And if they didn't behave like that, you knew it was a sign to not bet them that day. So let's say you've read the form or watched a post parade and you like a horse. What now? Where do you bet? In the golden age of technology we're living in, you've got choices. When the world normalizes and we're all at the track again, especially if you're a newcomer who's scared of this part of the game, I recommend going old school. You can walk up to any mutual window and have a lovely chat with the clerk who will walk you through the process. That said, paramutual wagering by phone or online has been legal in the U.S. since 1978, and there are several awesome account wagering companies out there that you can legally and, once again responsibly, wager with. The way an ADW works is you deposit funds into a secure account and then bet from that balance, and any winnings are automatically credited. Another reason to play this way is ADWs often have great rewards programs and really cool promotions, usually daily and always around whatever big race is going on on a particular weekend. As someone who helped design the user interface for the revamped Bet America site a few years back, the other nice thing about ADWs is they put all the basic information you could need to bet in one snapshot. Race conditions and horse names and odds and jockey and trainer stats, expected payoffs on the more complicated bets, it's all there on one screen. And yay for smartphones, this is now all literally in the palm of your hand. Before we talk about bet types, one other question that comes up a fair amount is, when can you wager? The short answer is, at any point before the gates break open. You may see the odds change after a race has started running, but that's just the last click of the totalizator system doing math on late bets. A lot of handicappers, especially ones playing big tickets, will wait until the last second to make decisions based on what the tote board says as horses are loading into the gate. But the rule is, pools close when the latch springs. The reason I say the short answer is the gate break is because you can actually bet on a horse on a card when the pools open on a given morning, usually 10 a.m.-ish. This is great for folks who want to wager in the set-it-and-forget-it style, where they've read the form and made decisions and have other things to do during their day. But if you're like me and you prefer to see the horses before you actually put your money down, then you have the 20-ish minutes from when they're in the paddock to the post-parade to the gate. And for exotic bets, which we'll talk about in a second, you have until the gate break of the first leg of the wager. So if you're playing a pick three that's comprised of races three, four, and five, you have until the start of the third race to get your bet in. This is a sort of hybrid between the two styles of wagering because you're seeing the ponies in the first leg, but betting blind visually for the back two. Now the fun part. We know how and where and when, but 
what do we bet? There are three types of wagers, single, exotic, and multi-leg. Not every type of bet is offered on every race, so it's important to look at the top of the program page for what the available wagers are. It's also important to note that you have to know the program number of the horse you're betting, especially if you're doing it at the mutual window. For example, if you were betting the 1973 Belmont Stakes back in the day, you would have said, I want $2 to win on number two, not I want $2 to win on Secretariat, because the tote system works in binary code, so it needs numbers, not names. You might also see a race have what's called an entry, where two horses are owned by the same people, so are considered a single betting interest. In those cases, you just ask for the one, and you get both the one and one A. It's basically BOGO for betting. You win if either horse hits the board. Also on the results front, if there's a dead heat, you'll see payoffs for both winning combinations. On to the wagers. Single bets are win, place, and show. Win is first, place is second, show is third. If you play a straight win bet, you only cash if the horse crosses the wire first. If you play a straight place bet, you only get the money if they run second. Same with show for them running third. There are a few combinations you can play to increase your chances of cashing a ticket. Win place means you win both payouts if the horse runs at least second. Win place show, also called across the board, means you win all three payouts if the horse runs at least third. Same idea for place and show, which gives you the math on the combined payoff for those two spots. Now, let's get a little more adventurous and look at the exotic wagers. When it's a single race bet, they can also be called verticals. These are your exactas, quinellas, trifectas, superfectas, and super high fives. Exacta and quinella mean you correctly called the first two horses across the line. Trifecta is the first three, superfecta the first four, and as the name suggests, Super High Five, or as my friend track announcer Robert Geller likes to say, the Pentafecta, is the first five horses to finish. Sometimes for bigger races, tracks will have a novelty wager on the menu that cashes if you correctly call more than five, and the magic number is always in the name. One of my biggest tips for newcomers is that you can increase your odds of cashing an exotic ticket by asking for the bet to be boxed. This means the horses you pick can come in in any order as long as it's those specific runners. Now we can get even more adventurous and look at horizontal wagers, those that require picking winners of multiple races in a row. These are pretty self-explanatory name-wise. These are pretty self-explanatory name-wise. Daily double means back-to-back -back races. Pick threes are three straight, pick fours are four, pick fives are five, and pick sixes are six. Again, some tracks do novelty versions on bigger days, but those are fairly rare, and again, the name gives away the rule. You'll often see tracks post that there is a pick six carryover. This means that there were no tickets that correctly called all six consecutive winners, so a portion of consolation tickets, usually five of six, are paid out, and the balance in the pool literally carries over to the next racing day as seed money for that wager. It's worth noting that a bunch of tracks have begun introducing what are called jackpot-style pick sixes. This requires there being a single winning ticket that takes down the entire pool, otherwise there's a carryover. And this brings us to the ever-popular question of, how much can I bet? The short answer, bet as much as you're comfortable losing. 
The bigger answer is to look at the minimums for each bet type, because you can really bet any amount above that threshold and your winnings will increase accordingly. Pretty much the base bet for win or place or show in North America is $2 a piece. If you play a combination like win place or play show, you're looking at $4, and win place show or across the board is a $6 investment. Some tracks have experimented with lowering that minimum to $1, and from what I've heard, it was a fairly successful experiment, but it hasn't become the adopted standard yet. When it comes to exotics and multi-legs, answering what minimums are gets a bit trickier because every track and or jurisdiction tends to be different. But you can basically think of it as $1 for exactus quinellas, trifectas, super high fives, and the multi-legs like pick threes, fours, fives, and sixes. A lot of folks now have 50 cent minimums, so definitely check the wagering menu for each race you're playing. Similar to how betting across the board will increase your investment because you're playing more combinations, the same is true if you box a bet. There are also more other quote-unquote interesting types of combos if you want to get creative. Keys and wheels are a way of giving you more possibilities without being as expensive as boxing. One thing that always surprises people about exotics and multi-leg bets is that you can pick more than the amount of horses in the name of the wager. You can play an exacta using three horses versus just the required two. Same with pick fours. You can single one horse in each leg of the sequence, but you can also buy yourself more possible winning combinations by going several horses deep in some or all of the legs. You can also choose literally all of the horses by hitting the all button. Just know that every additional horse means an additional possible combination means a higher investment. Over a decade ago, a lot of tracks adopted the 10 cent superfecta, which I think was the greatest gift to newcomers or low volume bettors like myself because it allows me to play a whole bunch of combinations for fairly cheap. It's really no surprise then that my favorite wager is a five horse boxed 10 cent superfecta. Yeah, it's a mouthful, but it gives me 14 possible ways for what is the first four horses to cross the wire, and it only costs me $12. Two tips to keep in mind no matter how experienced a player you are. It's always good to double check how much a ticket is costing once you've plugged it in and before you hit send. And second, on the flip side, when we're back to having paper tickets in hand, Never tear up a losing ticket before you run it through the machine to make sure it's actually dead. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, much appreciation as always to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Jo Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go Beyond the Racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.